This is the Living Vertizano podcast, brought to you by The Church at Riverstone, a fellowship of the Church of the Nazarene in Madera, California. Our episode today focuses on Matthew 21, 23 through 32, which looks at an interaction between Jesus and the chief priests and another one of Jesus's parables. Together, we will be discussing the importance of following through on our yes to Jesus. Hi, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Natasha. I'm Brittany. And I'm Derek. And we are the Living Vertizontal Podcast, back with you this week uh, as we continue our journey through Matthew. And just as a really quick recap, last week we worked through Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 through 22, uh, where we looked at uh, Jesus's trip to the temple and also his cursing of the fig tree and discussed this idea of how Jesus... Uh, destroys that which doesn't bear good fruit. Um, And then this week, we're going to be moving on into Matthew chapter 21, verses 23 through 32, uh, where we're going to look at an interaction between Jesus and the chief priests uh, pertaining to Jesus's authority, as well as Jesus's parable of the two sons. Uh, I believe today we have Brittany reading for us. So Brittany, would you read Matthew 21, verses 23 through 32? Yes. Matthew 21, 23. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things? They asked. Who gave you this authority? Jesus replied, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or of human origin? They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, then why don't you believe him? But if I say, but if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the people, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We don't know. Then he said, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. All right, so there you have it, our uh, passage for the day, these two kind of different stories, both taking place uh, within the temple courts. Um, so th- the question is, as usual, you know, what are we seeing here? What, what are you hearing Jesus say and, and what, what's standing out to you? I, I think that the first thing that sticks out to me is Jesus, you know, it's like this, uh, it all comes to a head, his authority, you know, it's, it's been questioned time after time after time up to this point. And so he came into Jerusalem and kind of, you know, from there forward, showing his authority as coming in as the king. He he comes into the temple and he he essentially cleanses the temple and he shows his authority through the curse of the fig tree. And so we just see like this culmination of Jesus, you know, 
um, having the authority that the Father's given him. And so he's going it, to, it's kind of like bubbling up in him and it's about to kind of be unleashed in a sense on, on those that, um, you know, are questioning him. And so you have Jesus again at the temple here at the beginning of our passage. Um, something that stood out to me was, you know, just as in verse 12, it says Jesus entered the temple courts and dot, dot, dot. This is when he drives out um, all the stuff that's in there. Uh, verse 23, Jesus entered the temple courts and dot, dot, dot. So the exact same setup is happening. Uh, this time, instead of cleaning house, he's now teaching. And in the midst of his teaching, these chief priests and, uh, and uh, elders come and say, you know, by what authority are you clear, cleaning out the temple? By what authority are you performing all these things? And they want to know. I, I think they know. Yeah. <laughs> but they they want him to say it. I, I would say it's it's kind of still a cleansing, but he's trying to cleanse hearts mm. instead of the temple. And so um, in his teaching... He's, he's trying to do a different kind of cleansing. You know, before, I think it was more of, like, upset about what was being done in the temple, and now it's more like, let's, like, clear out the junk of your heart and mm -hmm. help you to see, like, the truth, to see who I am. And I think Jesus, in acting in true Jesus form and teacher form for him, uh, instead of responding and giving a direct answer, he responds with a question, like kind of helping guide them and lead them to the answer instead of just giving them the right answer. It's, it's okay, well, you're asking that question. Let me ask a question to help guide you and lead you to the answer that you are quote unquote seeking. Um, and, and so he asked, you know, by what authority uh, did John do these things? And then with that, initially they respond having this really kind of prideful stance well, if we say from heaven, then that says that we're wrong. And so we have to own that. So we don't, we obviously are not wrong. We could not possibly be wrong. So therefore that is not a feasible answer. We're not going to say that. But then this other part of, if we say of human origin, then the people are going to be a problem for us because they hold that John is a prophet. And I think this part really struck me that they were afraid of the people. Uh, we have recently been reading through Acts, both with the youth and as a church in the like morning reading times. Bible plan. Yeah. yeah. And I, I guess in my mind, I held this in contrast with the, the disciples' actions the first time they are essentially kind of persecuted, really, I mean, flogged, beaten, for, for a proclamation of Christ. And, and they are so bold in that. They are so filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think Peter's, Peter even responds, you know, who are we going to obey, you or God? Hmm. And like he's so resolved, like this is the boldness of someone who's walking in the Spirit. This is the boldness who's someone who is dwelling in the presence of God. And yet these spiritual leaders are afraid of the people. And so for me, I feel like that's just, that's such a red flag hmm. of these are not men who are walking in or dwelling in the presence of God. And so it, se it would seem to me right there that 
the author of Matthew brings to my attention, hey, he really is the Messiah. And so I feel like that message, again, is just echoed. Yeah, suppose that would be a red flag of sorts for the spiritual leaders to fear the people that they're supposed to be leading more than the one that they are to be following. So they had a greater fear of the people than they did of the God that they served. Even after all that they've seen. Yeah. (laughs) But don't we have that issue sometimes too? Mm -hmm. That we worry about what somebody's going to think or what somebody's going to say when we know that that is what God has called us to do. So a while ago, I was asked by um, my director to provide a reflection in the organization that I'm, that I work for. It is custom for us to do a reflection before every meeting. And the very first thought that I had is, you know, I work for religious institutions. So, you know, faith is very much present in things that we do, um, but not always in our meetings. Um, But my first thought was, this is a perfect opportunity to share scripture. And as I was going through and, you know, asking God, you know, what scripture can I, can I, would be, what would he want me to share? Mm -hmm. And I was going through and I let the fear of all of these leaders and what they would think about what I, you know, what scripture I'm sharing. um, I let that dictate what exactly I shared. I did share something that was um, faith-based. It was a um, an excerpt from um, Bob Goff's book, um, Everybody Always. So it wasn't a bad thing, but I think maybe it just wasn't exactly what Jesus would want, wanted me to share in that moment. And uh, I hope I get that opportunity again soon. So I, I guess at this point I have a question. Uh, just because I'm curious, like, you know, thoughts. Um, verse 27 says, so they answered Jesus, we don't know. And so the response to Jesus in the midst of his questions was, I know. yeah, I don't know. I'm curious, like, what do you guys think like they meant when they said, we don't know? Um, I mean, I kind of tend to think in the vein of like where you were going, Natasha, like they were afraid of the consequences, like they knew the answer, but they were afraid of like, you know, how it would be received or whatever, but I'm just, you know, curious. I like the thought to uh, plead the fifth <laughs> <laughs> to not incriminate themselves. Yeah. I think when looking at the verses above that, so um, what is it? 25 part B, if we want to say that um, to 26, it says they discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, uh, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the people for all, uh, they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered. So it's like they're having this conversation. They know the cost of either possible answer that they can give. And they say, we don't like option A or B. So we're going to create our own option, which is C because we don't want to have to deal with the repercussions of A or B. And so it's like having weighed the possibilities, they created a different one because they didn't like the outcome of either of the options that they really had before them. And just like Brittany earlier was, you know, wondered how often we are more afraid of what people might think versus what God might think of something that he's asked us to do. How often do we 
create a different option when we're presented with two directions or, or like whatever the number is, but we always, we look for a different way because we don't like the possibilities that lie before us. How difficult must it have been for them to really be, and I don't know, I assume they are somewhat wrestling because they're going back and forth between these two questions, but, um, how difficult must it have been to to like see these two answers or see these two solutions, but know that there's really only one and they're like, I just don't want to say it. Like, I don't want to give him this place that even though I recognize that he has this place, it's like, I've heard, I've heard it said before, like, you know, I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Well, you can't make Jesus the Lord of your life because he's already the Lord. You either accept him as Lord or you reject him as Lord, but he's Lord either way. And so I kind of see it almost like that's where they were at in this like frame of mind. It's like, okay, we really know the answer, but we reject the answer anyway. Like, so we're going to come up with our own solution. So it doesn't get us hurt from either side, but we don't have to admit what we know to be true. And so I don't know, like, I think that there was a struggle for them to want to accept his authority because, you know, we, we have the same problem. Like, we, you know, we know who Jesus is. We recognize who Jesus is. And yet, we can still decide to choose what we want, therefore making ourselves the Lord of our life instead of making Him something that He already is. And so, I kind of feel like that's where they were at. They were struggling with this, like, wanting to give Him, like, the respect of the authority that he has and recognize that authority because of what it meant. Well, and they're deeply offended. I mean, he just walked in and like flipped over. I imagine some of those same people who had their tables flipped, like some of these elders who are in there selling and, and overseeing at this time, yeah, at least the livelihood associated with. The yeah. Selling. They're, yeah. they're, they're deeply offended by this man. And so whether or not, I mean, I don't know. I think I think of this this pride and this hostility that they must feel towards this Jesus. Even if he is who he says he is, who cares? He totally came in here and wronged me, you know. And so I think I think there is all of this anger and emotion that they're allowing to control this situation, as opposed to allowing God to speak into this situation. I feel like it's the same conversation that we've we've had throughout Matthew that you. There, there's this humbling that they're just not doing, that they're just not accepting that they should humble themselves and accept that Jesus Christ is Lord. Um, and, and we know we've talked about it, you know, for, for many, many months about this humbling and the last become first and the first become last. And they're just not willing to do that humbling. They're not willing to sacrifice like the things that, that God is asking them to give up because, because of, you know, what culture has created for them. This it's like that positional thing that yeah. we've talked about in the past. So Jesus sees this power that they're trying so desperately to hold on to. And that's kind of that's what leads him into this conversation of the parable and the of the two sons is to help them in one more avenue, right? And he's going to do this a couple more times. He's going to tell a couple more stories about this, but to lead them, hopefully, to see, look, lay down the power. It's not about the power. And I think as he goes in and talks about the parable of the two sons, we get to 
kind of get to that place where he's exposing them for, for what's really, what's really in their heart. So then that, that brings us to the parable and, and, um, I think one observation that I would make as we move into this is just a reminder, a callback to where we just came from. Like Jesus entered the temple and was teaching. So the fact that a parable is now recorded doesn't it, it it doesn't it's not just like out of out of place. Like Jesus has been teaching. Jesus's regular practice was to teach in parables. And so it's like they walked in and stood up, interrupted his sermon, right. and now he's like, okay, let me keep going. And by the way, I'm going to tweak it in this way, cater directly to you. Right. So it's like, I'm going to responsively <laughs> teach right now um, to the specific situation that was just brought up. And so he jumps into this parable from that place. Uh, again, people are, that would indicate then that maybe that's why they were so afraid of what people would think, because there was a bunch of people around listening. And, and so now Jesus goes into this, conversation on the the two sons and and how they respond to the request of the father. And I'll just say up front about this parable, um I've always thought it was an interesting parable and interesting in the sense of I didn't understand why it was even here to be honest with you. Um because it seems like when I first read this parable and first was thinking about it, I I was always thought to myself neither of these people did what they were supposed to do. Like if I was the dad, I would be pretty upset at my son who first said no and then decided to go. I mean, I would be glad that he ultimately decided to go, but I would be super frustrated with him for saying no up front. Like, like, don't you dare disrespect me like that. Um, and then the other son who says, yeah, I'll do it. And then doesn't do it. Like both of these sons, I'd be pretty disappointed in. I guess ultimately I'd be, more thrilled with the one who did it, uh, did go into the field. But so just that's, you know, my confessions of the awkwardness of this parable in my mind. And yet I see the role that it plays. And so I suppose it would be uh, prudent of us to address specifically who the sons are, like what, who is who in this, in this parable right? Because a parable holds a mirror to us. It, it reveals something about us. It challenges us. And so when specifically we think about the context of this particular parable, Jesus is in the temple courts teaching, having a conversation with people, but also with the chief priests and the teachers. And so when you think about it in that light, you know, you have the the two sons, the the one son who um, said they weren't going to enter the field, and then they did eventually. Uh, that's more representative of um, like the the tax collectors and the sinners and the prostitutes. Like the, those are the people that Jesus regularly hung out with that the Pharisees had a problem with. Um, and then on the other side of it, you have the son who said he was going to go into the field and work, like a spon- responding affirmatively to the father, and then ultimately they didn't go into the field. And if the tax collectors and the sinners and the prostitutes represent the one who said no, but then did, this category is reserved for the chief priests and the Pharisees and the Sadducees who said yes and then didn't, where they are living this life of like, 
you know, Jesus has, has uh, addressed this idea of like, they clean the outside of the cup, but they're not worried about the inside of the cup. They have all these rules and regulations that they live by that ultimately are rules and regulations that elevate them and, and kind of perpetuate this lifestyle of theirs and, and um, maybe put them on a pedestal of leadership and uh, minimize those around them. And so the, you know, we have, we have Jesus specifically in this parable kind of categorizing or classifying those that are listening. They fit in one of these two camps. And so it's almost like through, in response to the question that was asked just before of by what authority are you doing these things, Jesus doesn't necessarily say, I'm not going to talk about that anymore. He goes on into this parable and allows the parable to search the people where they are now put in this place where it's like, okay, no longer am I answering Jesus's question of by what authority did John do this stuff, but which son am I? Where would I fall in this conversation? I think... I think as you're discussing the two sons, it occurs to me that we find ourselves in these spaces. So when we come before God and what at whatever point we make the decision to follow him, or if we live our whole lives not following him, or if we make a decision to follow him and then don't, I mean, that's us. Like, that's humanity. Jesus is the only one who can be the son who... We're so who said yes from the yeah, start and then actually did it and follow, followed through. Right. And so I think it's, it's easy for us to stand on the outside and get frustrated by the sons, like as, as a parent or as the father figure. But in reality, this is who we are. Hmm. And yet God still continues to have this incredible compassion toward us. And so I just, I don't know. I was just struck by that and just thank you, Jesus, for your patience. I, as I sit here and like mull over this this passage and these two sons, I I can't help but think they both had a choice. Like they were presented with an option, they had a choice. They could either respond in, in the affirmative or respond, but either way, they 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 were presented with the the choice to to obey, which is really what the difference between us and Jesus, because he had no problem with the obeying part where we struggle with the obeying part. You know, he asks us to do something, we say yes, and then we don't do it. And then we're like the people who question Jesus, or, you know, we, we're, we're given this option and we say no, but then we ultimately come to this place where we recognize that that was what we should have done in, in the first place. And so then we're like the tax collector and the prostitute. And so, like, Jesus, I, I'm so thankful that, even even when you're faced with opposition from people who want to crucify you, you still offer grace. Like to me, that's what I take from this passage. Like he still offered grace, even when people wanted to reject it. He's still offering this opportunity. So whether you're on the one side of the the son who um, said yes and and didn't do it, or you're the son who said no and then you ended up doing it, like grace is there. The, the the grace is given and um 
you know, we have a choice to make. Are we going to live into that that lordship of who he is? It really comes back to the recognizing his authority. Like the one son accepted that and recognized it, and, and the other rejected it. So again, the question is, which son am I? So I, I think that for me, like, I, I, I have to, like, look at it from the perspective that they're kind of having at that time, like, my view of myself. Like, am, am I one who has a lofty view of myself or a lowly view of myself? Because that's going to, that can really tend to, like, ha- affect the trajectory of your heart. When you have a lofty view of yourself, it's easy to find yourself in the same place as the chief priests and the Pharisees, the the, the church leaders. Um, if you have a lowly view of yourself, it's easier to find yourself in the position of someone that's like the tax collectors or the prostitutes. And so, you know, I don't know. I I, I think our view of ourselves can. Um, it can kind of, I don't know, align us more easily with one or the other. And it's easier, I don't want to say easier, but having a view of like giving Jesus this authority in our life is much easier when we come from a position of humility, like you talked about earlier, Brittany. But when we have a lofty view of ourselves, and it can be easy to like, you know, look at the things I've done, look at what I've accomplished. It can be easy to get to that position. And so when we have those positions, it can be easier to be the son who says no and walks away and recognizes that, like, I need this person that can make me whole. Whereas when we're the position in this lofty position, like, it can be easy to walk away and, and say that you pay lip service and say, I'll do something, but then not see the need to do it because look at all that I've attained. And so I think like the position of, of our view of ourself can affect that. That's not like an excuse to say that, you know, just because that we're going to, we're going to take that position and we're going to, to um, submit to the authority of Jesus. But I think that if we are always holding ourselves in a submissive role, it's it's far easier, or in a lowlier role, it's far easier to find ourselves as the one who recognizes we need Jesus, and and it, and we are willing to submit to His authority because of what He has done and what He's going to do. Not that I'm expecting Him to give me something, because what He's giving, what He is getting ready to give, is far greater than we can we can measure. So, so when I think about it, it makes me think. Um. So. I've, I've made the commitment that I'm going to follow Jesus with my heart, soul, mind, and all my strength. But yet, when he asks me to read a scripture to people that I work with, mm. I don't do it. And so I'd like to think that I'm working towards being more like Jesus and saying yes and doing what I say yes to. But I still find myself as the second son saying, yes, Jesus, I will continuously follow you and I will follow everything that you tell me to do. But the simplest thing as, you know, reading some scripture and I don't do it. So Jesus helped me to continuously moment by moment, moment by moment, 
look and listen to what you have for me to do. Yeah, I would, I would kind of echo that. Um, and just Brittany, when you asked the question, you know, again, of which son are you? And I, if I think about my life, I would say for the vast majority of my life, I was the one who said yes, but then didn't do it. Like, I, I think, you know, growing up in a pastor's home, growing up in a family that was always in the church, like, I knew the right things to say. I knew the right way to act in front of the right people. Um, and with my, with my mouth, I regularly said yes. And yet when I look back on my, like the heart that was associated with all of that, I know it wasn't a heart that demonstrated yes, if that makes sense. And it wasn't until, you know, the later third of my life so far, so I'm what, 34? It wasn't, an, it wasn't probably really until, you know, a little after we were married, like I think I was starting to understand what it meant to say yes and and actually live yes. But I had, I thought so highly of myself in other areas of my life and had my own plans for my life and was planning on doing those things and was ignoring what Jesus was asking me to do. And so even though I was saying yes, and even though I was saying I was a Christian, it's kind of hard to be a Christian if I'm not going to actually follow what I know Jesus is asking me to do. And, you know, this goes, I, I know, Brittany, you shared and you were saying, you know, like a verse for me, it was like from college on, I knew, I, I heard Jesus saying, I want you to serve in ministry. And I was finding, I was trying to find everything to do than that. I was willing to do anything but that. And it wasn't until he brought me to a place about a year into our marriage where I had been emptied of all that stuff that I thought so highly of myself with and realized, man, I, I need Jesus. And I, I need to do, I need to stop saying I'm, I want to do what he's asked me to do, and I need to actually do it. And I guess I look back on that and go, man, what a waste. Like, how much more could have been accomplished? How much more could Jesus have accomplished in me and through me, but mostly in me, if my yes actually was followed by action for all those years? And I know, I know I still, I still follow through on my yes imperfectly. And I know Jesus is still working on me. But I also know now that I am very conscious and very aware that Jesus does in fact speak and so my responsibility in saying yes is to be listening moment by moment to what Jesus would have me do, whether it's a career change 
or directing a devotional moment in my life, whatever it is. I think it's neat that your story kind of echoed what Derek started this, this kind of, I don't know, testimony time with, and that, that is like this, this idea of how we think of ourselves. Do we think of ourselves as lowly or do we think very highly of ourselves? Because if you're in a lowly position, you don't have a whole lot to lose. And I think that's what makes it so easy to say yes to Jesus when you're in a lowly spot. And I think that's super unfortunate that, as you said, Nick, you're Jesus. It's great. Jesus brought you to a lowly spot mm-hmm. and we can celebrate the suffering and, and like really the emotional toil that that time took because mm-hmm. we see the good that God was doing through it. But what a, what a loss to not have had to not have made Jesus king when you're in a highly spot, mm. when you're thinking highly of yourselves. And I, I think of the rich young ruler that we just talked about and what he stood to lose, and he just couldn't bring himself to it. And so when you talk about like career changes or when you talk about the big things that we have to give up and we're, we're fighting the smaller battles moment by moment every day, but when Jesus comes in and says, hey, I know that this is your thought, but I've got this. And it it could cost you a lot. And I think I think that's the moment where we have to we have to say, yeah, you know what? It's going to cost me everything, but it cost you everything and I'm supposed to be following you. So, I'm resolved to lay down everything too. And if this is my cross, I'll take it and I'll carry it because you saved me and you gave up your life for me. So what else, what else could I do? He wants more than our lip service. He wants our heart. He wants everything that we can muster. And I think the really encouraging thing about, about I, there's a lot of lament, I think, in our conversation right now. And I think the encouraging thing about it is Peter was in this place, right? He said, oh, yeah. Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'll follow you to, to the death, right? Until the very end, I'll be with you. And Jesus says, no, you won't. Just watch. And we know, like, in a, in a few chapters, we're going to get there, and, and Peter's going to deny him. But then Jesus restores him, mm-hmm. and he welcomes the person who said yes, did no, but then says yes, just as if they had always said yes. Hmm. And it's really the same thing that he's offering to the 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 chief priests and the Pharisees, like the the teachers. Um, that's that's what he's offering. He's offering the same grace that he offers Peter, that he's offered time and time again. Like he's he's offering grace, and I mean that that just goes to show that like, not that that's an excuse to keep like choosing ourselves to be Lord but that he's never going to stop offering that grace. And so, like, thank you, Jesus, that you don't stop. Like, it is that reckless love that we talk about, that Jesus is recklessly loving us until we come to this place where it's no longer lip service, that it's a heart fully committed to saying yes every time, even when it's not fun. Because I think we could all say we've said yes when it wasn't fun. 
Um, but yet when we get on the other side, we look and we say, wow, we said yes, and look what God did. Because I think we're living in that. Like, you, you, we come to that place where we look back and we say yes to something that sounds crazy. And I mean, I, I know we've all shared, like, personally, like, multiple times where we said yes to something that other people would think looks delusional. Um, and yet looking on the other side, like seeing what Jesus, what you've done, like I want to say yes every time, not out of lip service because I want to say yes, because like you're that good. And what I've seen you do like is amazing. It's life changing. It's transformational. And that's what he's desiring to do. Transform us every day. That continual moment by moment transforming us into being, you know, clay in his hands that he can mold and shape and and use to do to carry out the mission. So I suppose the question facing all of us is are we ready to say yes? and do yes with our lives. Be sure to follow the Living Vertizano podcast to stay current on all our new releases. To learn more about The Church at Riverstone, visit us at thechurchatriverstone.org.